0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. When you think about politics and representation, often you think about the people who are involved, the people who make the policy decisions that affect all of the rest of us. But politics is really not just about that. It's also about the setting in which people are represented and in which these decisions get made. And a big aspect of that political setting is political maps, the districts that get drawn to determine who will represent whom in Detroit or Lansing or Washington. Now, in 2018, Michiganders voted to have our maps drawn for the first time by an independent commission of state residents, instead of by the politicians themselves, people who could and who did for many years manipulate the maps to make it easier for people in their party or for they themselves to To keep power I am among the people who think this was a really positive change the idea of voters not politicians drawing the lines makes eminent sense to me but there are a lot of people who disagree with that and they believe that the independently constructed political maps were deeply flawed In one case, attorneys for a group of Detroit area voters believe that the state legislative districts that were adopted in 2021 violated the Federal Voting Rights Act and the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause by drawing majority black uh, districts with uh, people from both the city of Detroit and people in places like Oakland and Macomb counties. Instead of drawing districts that would respect geography, cities and counties, they tried to create communities that would spread across those kinds of jurisdictions. Now, about a week before the new year, a panel of three federal judges agreed with this argument. And they said that in more than a dozen Detroit area legislative districts, African-American voting power had been diluted by this effort to create these districts. While the redistricting commission voted to appeal that decision in a meeting last week, if it stays, this ruling means that 13 Michigan districts are going to have to be redrawn before we start the 2024 election season. That season gets started in just a few weeks, by the way. And so this would be a very frantic process, and effort. Now, parts of this may seem a little abstract, but this case is a really big deal. It reaches to really important questions about what fair political maps might look like, how this area's African-American population, both in Detroit and importantly in the suburbs, should be represented in Lansing and even in Washington, And it reaches to the complexities of race and politics and geography in a region that is it's just changing an awful lot a little later in the hour we're going to talk with folks who represent michigan's redistricting commission and with an attorney who's representing the folks who believe that the commission drew maps that dilute the black vote in the state we're going to hear from both sides of this issue. But before we get there, we want to talk with someone who actually represents Detroiters now in local government and who has thought a lot about how all of this affects his constituents, this city, and our state. Jonathan Kinlock is a Wayne County Commissioner who represents District 2, uh, which is on the east side of Detroit. Uh, He also chairs the 13th Congressional District's Democratic Party Committee and has served on the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. Jonathan, it is great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today.
1: Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. All right. So let's start here. I I
0: wonder what you make of this court decision that says Michigan's political maps violated the Voting Rights Act by essentially trying to create new kinds of communities, not just Detroit districts or Oakland County districts or Macomb County districts, but districts that stretch across those borders. Did they do the right thing with this draw?
1: Well, Stephen, a lot of us, as you said, supported the idea of having uh, citizens Uh, independent citizens, um, redraw the legislative maps. Um, I was one of those um, and had a lot of uh, faith and confidence uh, in the individuals who were selected to serve on this on this commission. But the maps that were drawn um, did break or crack uh, years of precedence, um, years of uh, understanding um, the uh, as relates to the importance of black representation, specifically in uh, recognizing the trends associated with how black people vote in primary elections. Uh, what the lawsuit brought out was a lot of um, uh, issues that shocked many of us. That they um, basically drew these maps, totally throwing out the window. Um, the years of precedence associated with um, complying with the Voters Rights Acts Act and um, they decided they decided not to use primary elections as a f- key factor in determining how to draw the districts. So these maps um, created a lot of challenges to, to many of us, but on the other side, it creates a paradox. Mm-hmm. Because we have now in this legislature, we have a speaker of the house, and as you know, the person who wields the gavel—another East Sider—absolutely wields the <laughs> gavel, basically um, controlling uh, the legislative roadmap uh, in, in, in the House of Representatives. Not only that, we have uh, key uh, blacks chairing major committees in the legislature, so. For me, uh, Stephen, it's important to have black faces, but it's also important to have black power and being able to move um, policies that's important to Black people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so we should back up just a little and make it clear for the listeners why the things that you're talking about are true. This redraw, in an, in addition to uh, breaking some of the the precedents that 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 we've used in the past to draw districts and respecting the idea that Detroit should have its own representation in Lansing, uh, it also had the effect of creating a democratic majority in the legislature, in the entire legislature, for the first time since I was about 11 years old, uh, back in the early 1980s. And and it did that uh, by, of course, uh, creating districts uh, that, that were both city and suburb. But it also diluted the number of African Americans at least in the first cycle uh, in 2022 who who could uh, who were who were going to be elected. And so there's a trade-off there that I think is at the center of of this controversy. Is it more important for instance for African Americans uh, to be able to uh, join with other democratic voters in the state to create democratic majorities, which is what the current map does? Or is it more important for African-Americans to be able to choose uh, successfully people who look like them uh, to represent them in Lansing?
1: And you you raise um, perfect points as it relates to um, uh, key issues associated with this. Um, You have a a, a situation um, where a lawsuit was initiated and... um, Of course, there are some concerns in in Democratic circles uh, about why and who actually moved this uh, lawsuit forward. Mm -hmm. And and, and the key thing is, is because uh, there's some concerns that the Republicans on the Republican or Republican leaning organizations uh, pretty much brought this lawsuit. Now they have to be ra- loving this, right? Uh, the, if we give read them another bite after Apple, right. give if you them read them a huge, out the maps,
0: they have a, a better chance of recapturing at least one of the houses in Lansing.
1: Absolutely, be, because right now we know for certain that the House of Representatives, uh, they there's uh, they have to be they stand to be elected uh, this year. Um, but you know, but the forty years over the forty or longer years, uh, we've seen that the Republican Party, you know, you know, haven't been a, a friend to Detroit. Uh, It hasn't been a friend friend in in, in a way that uh, would uh, cause you to uh, embrace (laughs) with excitement a lawsuit that has been initiated by Republicans. But 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 regardless of that fact um, is a lot of unfortunate information that came out Um, there. Let me just also state Mm -hmm. there were maps that actually allowed or had suburban communities in place um in you know included in those maps that did not dilute uh dilute Detroit or black representation or black residents on the way that the maps that were finally selected yeah. did among the choices that Absolute the commissioners that that had, had absolutely yeah. but what is even more egregious is the uh comments that came out of the testimony uh that some of the members of the commission stated um was Discussions and, and statements that were made during deliberation, mm-hmm. and so that that that's even more uh, challenging as well. Yeah.
0: So, so I want to talk to you just a little about uh, African American uh, presence in our region and African American representation, because I think that's also at the center of this. So when I was growing up here in, uh, in Detroit in the 70s and 80s, and they were drawing political maps, first of all, there was a lot more people in the city of Detroit than there are now. Uh, uh, it's also true that there were almost no African-American communities to speak of outside of the city of Detroit in metro Detroit, right? So if you went to Oakland County, if you went uh, to suburban Wayne County, if you went to Macomb County, you wouldn't find a lot of black folks. Uh, Fast forward to today, and we learned in the 2020 census that there are now actually more African Americans in this region living outside the city of Detroit than inside the city of Detroit. And I guess I have thought from the beginning that the maps that this commission drew were trying to nod to that reality. They were trying to respect the, the idea that you need to give African-Americans and, and other non-white voters the opportunity to elect people who look like themselves, but that that no longer is just about what happens in the city of Detroit that you have to think about places like Royal Oak and Oak Park and Ferndale and uh, Taylor and uh, even Warren and and Roseville and, and and places that we just have never thought of uh, have as having significant black uh, uh, populations is that is that wrong were they were they wrong to think of it in those terms and if they were then how do you make sure that African-Americans um, in the suburbs and in the city uh, get the same opportunity, I guess, to, to, to be able to elect people who look like that?
1: Well, they could have accomplished that by, uh, I, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying, you know, nowadays you have blacks who are all over the place. Um, uh, um, Uh, unlike it was in um, the early 80s and even in instances of the 90s. Um, They could have done that, but when you look at these maps and you listen to or review uh, the uh, statements that were made in uh, the um, the court testimony, um, they took these maps from Detroit so far north in Oakland County, yeah, they stretch it, a long way. Absolutely, and they one particular po- uh, part of the constitutional amendment speaks to community of interest. They totally ignored that fact and drew those maps in ways that uh, included communities that have. Um, um, uh, five differences as it relates to economics, as it relates to uh, social issues, um, and had s- nothing in common, um, and uh, and also uh, put uh, potential candidates uh, in those districts um, in a much, much um, challenging position in trying to win a primary election. you got to mm-hmm. keep in mind, they used the numbers associated with a general election, and um it wasn't about which
0: looked really different in terms absolutely of who shows up who vote. shows
1: up on, 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 on in those elections and and so it is um they could have accomplished that um, without violating the important important precedents. we can't just um you know i guess gloss over the fact um that the precedents. when we talk about precedent. there has been rationale and and reasoning um for um the the recognizing of the decisions that have been made associated with making sure that black voices um, are, are and black voices are, are, are represented mm-hmm. in a legislature um, and so I, I, I absolutely understand that we have a number of blacks in a number of different communities but I think the way that they drew, they drew those maps ignored um, the fact that um, um, that the it was very important to look at how voting pattern patterns of African Americans um, are shown in primary elections and not on general elections so I mean it it's it's just
0: uh, I, I mean a shorthand for what you're saying might be that they they uh, they went too far in the way in which uh, they tried to draw these districts uh, to include uh, you know uh, different communities but but to also make sure that uh, that there were African Amer- enough African Americans in those districts,
1: absolutely to win a primary election. Yeah, um, because we uh, we did see a few individuals who were able to be elected um, from the maps uh, from the maps that were undecided upon. Um, but I'm we're now at the at the point uh, where we're going to see some new maps drawn. Like you said, Democrats are in. Um, the majority mm-hmm. in, in, in the House and the Senate, and so how will that um, impact the ability? Um, not not I'm not just talking about partisan representation, sure. but the Democrats, um, uh, the Democratic Party is the party in which um, a majority of those legislators who have been elected to the legislature are, are a member of. So it's important not only be elected to Lansing, but it's also important to be able to get things done right. um, while you're um, while you're there. So. Um, it is is like i said it's very challenging for us to wrap our heads around yeah. uh, this paradox where you have the republicans or republican uh, leaning groups that actually brought this this lawsuit <laughs> and um you know you have to uh, question um you know uh you know question uh the motivation but the motivation we all know right. is to get another body at the apple sure
0: sure um uh, so i also want to talk just a little about the 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 cycle of maps, right? So every ten years, we we by law redraw the maps to to catch up with what the census tells us about the population, uh, and there are five elections that take place uh, under those under those maps every two years until the next uh, census is 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 done. I always feel like the results look really different in the third or fourth election than they do in the first election because it takes people a while to kind of figure out what the the new districts are like and what's possible in those districts one of the things that i kind of felt was possible here was that african americans who live in the suburbs would have done better in the districts that were drawn than african americans who live in the city, perhaps. Uh, that, that These were districts that were trying to nod to the idea that you have African-Americans in the suburbs and that uh, their appeal, not only to African-Americans, but also to their neighbors in their communities, would give them a, a stronger chance. And that by the third or fourth election in the cycle, we might start to see more of that. Now, of course, that raises other issues about Detroit representation and 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 making sure that the largest city in the state has enough uh, say in in Lansing but, but but I wonder what you make of of that argument or that possibility and how important that should be in this in this redraw this this question of of uh, racial representation versus geographic representation which I think, Uh, For a long time, those two things have traveled together in our politics, and
1: right now, they don't. Mm. Well, so, as we always say, all politics is is local. Um, So, in many of those communities... uh uh, many of those communities outside of Detroit is very challenging for them to be elected in those local positions and local offices for uh, city councils and, and whatnot. So we still have some, some challenges there. And we, we absolutely need to have a more in-depth conversation as it relates to race and politics. Um, as much as we have our differences, uh, if we begin to have conversations, we find so many things of um, that are, are, are common among us. Um, but... Uh, I, I definitely understand what you're saying as far as folks who are living out there um, that it allows for them to feel like they have an opportunity to have a voice and potentially can have an opportunity to run mm-hmm. um, for uh, for the le- these legislative uh, seats. Um, but we, we have to understand, like I said, there's a reason why uh, the courts have ruled um, um, and supported the Voting Rights Act. Um, because. Um, we still have challenges in this country um, you and I and, and, and many of us uh, understand and, and wish to move past that um, but we see right now um, that Donald Trump in the era of Donald Trump uh, that the country still have challenges as it relates uh, to, to race mm. um, and one of the specific one of the most important issues that we cannot ignore uh, is the fact that a lot of that concentration A lot of that division is here in the state of Michigan. So um, the Voting Rights Act and its precedents are absolutely uh, relevant and needed uh, even even today. Um, But I do understand that folks who have moved um, into Taylor, folks who have moved into Warren, we have uh, folks who have moved um, various parts of this state, you know, uh, uh, West Bloomfield and all over, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, particularly Southeast Michigan. Uh, they too want to have their voices heard. Uh, so that's that's the uh, challenge for this commission as they redraw these districts um, to uphold the Voting Rights Act, um, but also um, try to take into account uh, the voices at, uh, of black uh, faces and residents in the outlying communities as well. So you make a great and important point, um, but we have to understand the importance uh, associated with the president. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, uh, Jonathan Kinlock, uh, Wayne County Commissioner. Uh, it's always great to talk with you about these things. I'm, I'm really glad we got uh, your voice uh, into this conversation because I know you're somebody who's really thinking uh, about about all these issues. Thanks so much for for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, uh, we are going to get to the two sides in this dispute over the new maps that were drawn here in the state of Michigan. We're going to continue the conversation uh, by talking with the folks who drew the maps and by the folks who say the maps were drawn wrong. We also want to get going with you on the phones and on social. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. talking about Michigan's political maps, which recently were said to have violated the Voting Rights Act, uh, specifically here in the city of Detroit and in southeast Michigan, uh, by cracking African American uh, communities and diluting their possibility of electing someone who looks like them, uh, to represent them in Lansing. uh, We were talking with Jonathan Kinlock, who is a Wayne County commissioner who represents Detroiters on the east side, someone who's thought an awful lot about this process and what it means. Now we want to get uh, perspectives from each side in the lawsuit uh, that has, at least for now, said we've got to redraw those maps. Probably pretty quickly because uh, elections are going to get started really soon here in 2024. Uh, what will that mean, and what does both side, uh, what do both sides uh, think about uh, where we are? We're going to start with uh, voices representing Michigan's independent uh, redistricting commission. Uh, Catherine McKnight is an attorney for the redistricting commission. Uh, Catherine, welcome back to Detroit today.
2: Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for having
0: us. And Edward Woods III is the executive director of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. Edward, welcome to Detroit today.
3: Um, thank you, Stephen. Appreciate being here. Yeah. And Catherine, always good to partner with you. Yeah.
0: So you as well. So uh, Edward, I'm going to start with you. Uh, and and have you explain why the commission? did what it did, uh, and why you think uh, that that's defensible, uh, given, what, uh, given what the court is now saying about uh, these maps?
3: Well, I'm going to defer, Stephen, to our attorney, our litigation counsel, Catherine McKnight. Um,
2: I think she can give you
3: a very clear and concise answer with regards to that. Okay,
0: let's do that. Uh, Catherine, uh, why don't you go first? <laughs>
2: Thank you, Stephen. And if you can bear with me, Stephen, these are really important discussions, and I think that there's a lack of clarity that that isn't helping anyone involved. Mm-hmm. i I really appreciated your guest, Mr. Kinlock, um, some of the points he was making. I want to make sure we we make it clear what this case is about. Mm-hmm. I heard reference to the maps diluting votes. Uh, that is not what the court found here. The court did not find that the maps disenfranchise or dilute votes. The court did not find a violation of the Voting Rights Act, and it did not find that votes have been packed or cracked. Instead, the court found a violation of the Equal Protection Clause, right. meaning it found that the commission used race in a predominant way without narrow tailoring. Um And the only other point I wanted to make sure we clarified, Stephen, is that I heard discussion about primary election data. Mm -hmm. Uh, The commission did use primary election data, it did consider it, uh, and they hired seasoned experts at the top of their field to run analyses of voting patterns. Those experts found that the barrier to black candidate success was not at the primary stage, but at the general election stage. Mm. So you know you you hear surprise that primary data wasn't used. First, it was used, but the primaries aren't the barrier. So the commission drew to the barrier, um, understanding that as long as there is sufficient black voting age population to offer an opportunity to elect candidates of choice at that general election stage, that would be enough to offer an opportunity. At the primary so, stage,
0: yeah. So th- th- those are really great points. Uh, I want to start with this question of uh, equal protection violations versus VRA uh, violations, and that's important. And and from a legal perspective, of course, uh, that's that's how these things get you know adjudicated. Um, but given what what you're saying, uh, I guess the question is if the commission just went through the process again and relied less on race than it did in the first instance, but came up with the same maps, would, would you think that would satisfy the court? I guess I get the, the sense that that wouldn't satisfy the court, that there, there, the objection is to the maps themselves. But, but I would love to hear your perspective on that.
2: Thank you, Stephen. And um, respectfully, we have to say, you know, we we think the trial court got it wrong. um, But do we blame them? No, Uh, we believe this area of law has incredibly high stakes, incredibly high complexity, complexity, but really low clarity. Right. So lawyers who have practiced in this area for decades find the current environment to be the most confusing. And how to comply with both the Voting Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause. Mm -hmm. And so the the appeal, really part of the appeal, the the drive behind it is we think everyone is owed more clarity. Not just the commission or other map drawers, but also these judges sitting on the bench trying to make these complicated, difficult decisions. Mm. So... Um, while we're pursuing this appeal we are also at the same time uh, beginning the process of honoring this the three judge panel's ruling uh, and we expect to meet every deadline set by that court and you're correct you're hitting on a point that that we think there's an issue too it's it's really difficult to know how to how to comply and and that's why we we believe this appeal is so important and and while at the same time we will work to try to comply with the court's ruling as it stands
0: hmm. uh, so edward let's let's talk about that process. Uh, uh, you know, uh, as Catherine says, uh, you're going to respect what this uh, what this initial ruling says while the appeal unfolds. What's that going to look like for the commission, given the calendar, the the, the date? Uh, we are right up against uh, the, the, the beginning of decision making at the ballot box in 2024. Uh, talk about the pressure that puts on on you and the other commission members.
3: Yes. Even as you can imagine, we are you know, working around the clock to put a program together to get our contractors um, um, scheduled, and um, we're making progress. We will be sharing our plan tomorrow um, at 10 o'clock. Um, but as, as you know, the districts in question are 1, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, and
2: 14.
3: Mm-hmm. And um, you know, looking at it, it just makes sense to start in the downriver area. And then go north and then go east, in terms of you know looking at how to resolve um, the concerns that the court has raised. And so we're in the process of doing that and getting our mappers available um, to it so that we can meet the timeline. We're very confident um, that we can meet the timeline. Um, we're trying to set up presentations just so we, as you know, we have three new commissioners so they can be brought up to speed and have orientation. but we want to make sure that we get it right. And um, I think we will have a a solid plan in place tomorrow um, when we meet at 10 o'clock. Yeah.
0: So so uh, I also want to uh, have you give us just a little insight into the process the first time. Uh, As the as the uh, court says, there's a sense that you relied uh, on race in an impermissible way to draw these maps. Um, can you give us a sense of how you accounted for, uh, for, for, for race and, and uh, whether, whether you still believe uh, that, that you did it in, in, in the right
1: way?
3: Well, as um, Catherine already stated, you know, we are going to comply with the court, but we believe we did follow the guidelines. As you know, and those who are listening, um, the commission was charged was um, following the seven ranked redistricting criteria as outlined in the Michigan Constitution. I think there's a lot of um, confusion because people like the APOL standards. Mm -hmm. And the APOL standards, you know, basically uh, um, enabled a lot of packing to go on in Detroit, a lot of packing. And for that, you know, there was, um, you know, Detroiters were able to kind of identify their districts in terms of what they would have. And then turn those in behind closed doors with no transparency um, with regards to developing the maps. And we're not in the APOL standards. We are in the seven-weight registration criteria, which states, as many of you already know, to have equal population and comply with the Voting Rights Act. Um, the commission was trying to do just that. Yeah. And, and- the court disagreed with us. And But we also saw, it's like everyone else saw, you know, across the country, there was a lot of packing taking place in Detroit, a yes. lot of packing. Yes. And, you know, the, the whole idea is to give Detroiters an opportunity to elect the person of their choice. You know, we could have, you know, we were trying to maximize that opportunity by using the 7 rate registering criteria so that we wouldn't have that much packing. Yeah. But, like Catherine said, unfortunately, it didn't work out. So we have a... We're doing this parallel track, you know, with regards to the United States Supreme Court, and then following the court order um, that we received. Yeah, uh,
0: we should make clear for our listeners that the Apol standards that uh, you're referring to uh, prioritized municipal boundaries over other standards when you were drawing uh, lines. So, in other words, the fact that eight mile is the divider. Uh, on the north side of the city, between Detroit and Oakland County and Macomb County, was a pretty bright line, and and that's the reason that for for you know forever it seems we didn't have districts that straddled uh, that line. Of course, those seven other standards that we adopted in 2018. Um, deprioritize that in favor of of other things. I just want to make sure that uh, listeners can can follow because this stuff is actually pretty pretty technical and 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 pretty complicated. Um, Edward, I also yeah, want to talk. But, yeah, go but ahead. I
3: also want to share Stephen that that's also why you had such huge partisan gerrymandering, right? Yes, I mean that did not reflect the votes of Michigan, and um, you know so we addressed that and the both of those standards in terms of. Um, equal population and the Voting Rights Act, federal law, two geographically contiguous, three communities of interest, four partisan um, fairness, and then five not favoring an incumbent or a candidate. Mm-hmm. But six says that's where the sixth condition. Right. is deprioritized. In terms of deprioritized, like you said, it are got back. And um, it's an education process. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. when we first got out of the gate, you know, the media didn't understand it because I challenged um, one of the podcasts. I'm like, OK, what's going on here? This is not the APOL standards. It's right. clearly, the, you know, the seven rate redistricting criteria. And I don't know if they intentionally did it. I, I would hope not. But it just doesn't seem like they were um, willing to really educate the public clarity like you are doing today yeah. in terms of explaining it. And um, it, it's a tall task, as you can imagine. But I at the same time it welcomes, you know, engagement and participation. And here in Michigan, we got more than thirty thousand, nearly thirty thousand. I'm sorry, nearly thirty thousand public comments um, with regards to this process. Yeah. So, yeah. from an engagement standpoint and citizen input, you know, that is something that has happened open and transparently, and has never happened in the decision process before. Because everything was done behind closed doors. Yeah.
0: So, so we're going to have to end the segment uh, pretty soon to get to the other side uh, of this of this argument. But, but Edward, I, there's been a lot made of the advice that you guys got while you were drawing these maps. A lot of people say you got bad advice about how to account for race versus other other uh, other factors. Uh, I, I want to give you a chance to to speak to that and and to ask whether, uh, as you go forward, at least for now with a redraw, are you, are you rethinking the advice that you, that you take in? Are you, are you changing, uh, the process of, of how the commission is advised?
3: Well, as you know, we've had, um, a resignation, um, with regards to our voting rights at council. Yep. And at our last meeting, um, we, um, when we're we the commissioner elected to work with Baker Hostetler, with the voting rights, um, you know, legal counsel. So obviously changes have been made because of resignations. But I mean, really, the guiding force in this situation really comes from the court. And so we've list, we're listening to the court. We're mm-hmm. waiting for the direction from the court with regards to following it. So it's really not an apples to apples comparison in terms of starting off with the mapping process like we did it back in um, 2021 versus where we are in 2023. Um, we believe all parties that is, is um, the City the Commission did it to the best of their ability, utilizing their experience and expertise to um, best benefit the Commission. Um, unfortunately, the court saw it a different way, and now we are where we are today, ready to move forward, ready to meet the deadlines, and ensure um, that we draw fair maps, which is our mission with citizen input.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Edward Woods, Woods uh, the third, uh, and Catherine McKnight. Uh, it was really great to have both of you here to help uh, clarify the Commission's position on all of this. I really appreciate you joining us on Detroit Today.
2: Thank you very much, Thank you
0: Stephen. Thanks for having us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Talking about the Michigan redistricting uh, dispute that's going on about the city of Detroit and the way maps were drawn uh, after the 2020 census. For the first time by a citizens commission, uh, we want to now turn to the folks who think that process diluted black votes uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, I want to talk now with John Bursch, who is an attorney who has a challenged Michigan State House and State Senate maps, arguing that they violate the Voting Rights Act. Uh, John, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's quickly get to. Your arguments, why do you and others believe that 13 districts here in the state of Michigan all around the city of Detroit are in violation of the Voting Rights Act?
4: Well, it's really not complicated. Uh, The Voting Rights Act ensures that minority communities, when they make up a sufficient portion of the population, like black voters in Detroit, will have the opportunity, at least the opportunity, to elect their candidates of choice. And in Michigan, that means that in the Michigan House and Senate maps historically, there have been a large number of those districts with a majority population of black voters in and around Detroit. What the commission did here is that it reduced the percentage of of black voters in all of the Detroit districts to unbelievably low levels, 35 to 40 percent. And they did it based on a data set that the court concluded was completely irrelevant to the process that the commission was trying to undertake. Uh, It looked at general election data where the black preferred candidate uh, almost always wins rather than the primaries, which is the crucial thing when you're looking at different candidates in Detroit. As a result of that, uh, the the black legislative caucus suffered severe losses in the last election. It's likely that those losses will continue in the future. And it sets up these incredibly absurd scenarios where some of the wealthiest white suburbs of Detroit are paired in the same districts with the poorest black communities. Mm -hmm. And there was testimony at trial about what happens when you do that. Uh, Black candidates, when they go into those wealthy white communities, uh, they're called the N-word. People won't answer the door. Uh, Sometimes the police are called. Um, and, and the money disparity that the candidates can raise is just incredible, to the the, the point where the, the racism can be so bad that black candidates are forced to hire white canvassers to go door to door in to those suburbs to yeah. try to encourage people, yeah, to, to, to vote for them. Yeah. So so John, um, and,
0: I want to I want to I want to address that that point about the percentages uh, and and these you know these. Uh, these these drawn districts that that throw black voters and, and candidates into the same uh, communities as, as white wealthier uh, voters uh, and communities. Uh, if you look nationwide at districts where uh, non-white candidates have success, uh, the numbers the numbers are not uh, in 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 the majority. In other words, these are not majority. African-American or majority people of color districts for the most part, uh, the, 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 the number that most people point to as the kind of key uh, is is as low as 40%. So I guess my first question is why why is Detroit different in your view than uh, someplace like Atlanta or someplace like Dallas or even rural communities with African-Americans? If, if all you need is that 40 to give people that opportunity? Why do you feel like we need more here?
4: Well, you always have to look at the data in the community where the voting is taking place. And and I'll let others draw conclusions about why voting in the suburbs of Detroit might be different. But if you look at the data, you can see that it is different because, you know, there was a district, for example, where the black voting age population um, was kind of in that range between 35 and 45 percent. And the black candidate of choice, Uh, who was a black candidate, uh, was the overwhelming favorite of black voters, and yet lost decisively in the the primary election to Mm -hmm. the white candidate of choice, who was a white voter, because white voters in that district picked the white candidate over the black candidate 96% to
2: 4%.
4: When you have that kind of a racial disparity among white voters— a, a black voting age population of thirty five to forty percent is not going to get it done it 's going to need to be at least fifty percent and possibly higher than that to overcome that kind of disparity in the the, the white voting pattern
0: yeah but but on the other hand uh, the the districts that we used to have before this uh, were overwhelmingly african american a lot of them right and and there is the the, the counter argument is that that dilutes. Uh, the black vote by by making it impossible for African Americans who don't live in majority African American communities to have their voices heard. And, and of course, you know, the demographics of this region are changing quite a bit. There are African Americans living in the suburbs in much larger numbers. Don't you disenfranchise those voters by putting them in districts that are overwhelmingly white as opposed to having everybody. In a district where um, you know it's closer to a, a, a fair split.
4: Well, you know, our clients, who who are all black voters in the Detroit area, are not advocating that these districts be packed with ninety percent black voting age population.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, that that's not their position. All they're asking is a fair chance to be able to elect the candidates of their choice, and and that's going to require something more than fifty percent. It's going to require black majority districts based on the very precise statistics that we have for that area. And federal law in the Voting Rights Act, as well as the Constitution Equal Protection Clause, gives them that right. And what, what the commission did is it relied on experts who pushed general election data instead of primary data to the detriment of black voters in Detroit. And when, when the, the draft maps came out and there were basically no black majority districts in the House or the Senate maps, mm-hmm. you know, they had the public hearings. More than 200 people came out in Detroit and said, you can't do this. There. If this is yeah. the map that you, you publish, we're going to lose representation in the House and Senate. And the commission ignored that input. And yet that's exactly what happened in 2022, the very first election that took place under these maps. Uh, so it, it, it's really not rocket science. It's not depriving anyone of rights. It's just ensuring that the black voters in Detroit are given their rights that the federal constitution and federal law requires. Hmm. Uh,
0: so I also want to ask you the same question that I've asked uh, the, the other uh, guests on the show today about, um, I guess, the, the, the life cycle of maps like this, right? Uh, that, that the first election under new maps always looks a little different, or in some cases a lot different than the third or fourth or the fifth Election under those under those uh, districts, and in this case, um, I guess I, I want to hear what you would make of the idea that African American candidates in the suburbs in this di- in these districts would maybe have uh, better chances uh, than African American candidates in the city. And the reason I ask that is because I think there is an important distinction to make here between uh, just Concerns about African American uh, representation and representation of Detroiters versus uh, representation of African Americans uh, in the suburbs. I'd, I'd love to have you speak to that just a little bit.
4: Well, our, our clients would say that there's an enormous difference between having a successful black candidate in Detroit and a successful black candidate in the suburb, and that for the purpose of electing candidates of choice, they shouldn't be forced to choose someone in the suburb because. Inner city black candidates are unable to be elected, even unable to campaign in, in white suburbs. And, and the testimony at trial pointed to what's happening in the legislature right. right now. There's a Democrat majority in both the House and the Senate, or at least mm-hmm. there was until the, the two vacancies. There's a Democrat in the governor's office. And yet, Detroit's issues aren't being addressed. Um, The legislature has gone on a bridge that isn't representing their interests.
0: So you think that Joe Tate, who is the Speaker of the House and is a Detroiter from the east side, is not working in a way that represents Detroiters in Lansing?
4: The testimony at trial was that this legislature has not addressed the issues in Detroit. It hasn't dealt with the housing issues. It hasn't dealt with the infrastructure issues. It hasn't dealt with the school issues. Mm -hmm. The things that were most important to Detroit voters have not been addressed by this legislature. And that's a direct result of the dilution and diminution of the Black Legislative Caucus in the House and the Senate. That was the testimony at trial, and it was unrebutted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, So we're going to run out of time on the program. Uh, I want to have you talk about what you would see as— uh, and your clients would see as a, a suitable solution to this. You said earlier that you're not. No one's advocating going back to packing black voters into Detroit, uh, the way the Republicans, who had control for such a long time, were doing. Uh, what would what would, in your mind, be satisfactory? Is it the process, or is it the outcome, or is it both? We've only got about a minute left, but I, I would really love to hear your answer.
4: Um, it, it's going to be both, and, and just a quick point on on the previous maps, the testimony at trial was that the Black legislative Caucus worked with the Republican caucus to help draw those previous maps, so it's not fair to just say that that was a that a it Republican was just thing. Republicans,
0: yeah right. well they and were th- in th- control those maps
4: were, yeah, well, they were, but those were maps that that the voters in Detroit had significant input into, but going forward, we want to process where the commission doesn't use race as the the primary factor to draw lines, and that doesn't use race specifically to dilute black voting impact in the city of Detroit. And that's both both a process concern and an outcome concern. And we're going to be looking closely at both of those. That's why we asked the court to appoint a special master Mm -hmm. to work in a parallel fashion with the commission so that if they do this again, the special master's map can be adopted instead because, um, you know, (laughs) fool me once, uh, shame on, on me, whom we, or you, but only twice shame <laughs> on me, um, that we're not going to allow the commission to, to basically do this to the black voters in Detroit again.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, John Bursch, uh, attorney uh, in these redistricting uh, disputes, uh, really great to have you here uh, to present your side of this argument. I really appreciate you joining us on Detroit Today.
4: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019FN.